part one of chapter ten of book one of the wealth of nations this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by stephen escalera the wealth of nations by adam smith part one of chapter ten of book one of wages and profit in the different employments of labor and stock the whole of the advantages and disadvantages of the different employments of labor and stock must, in the same neighborhood, be either perfectly equal or continually tending to equality. If, in the same neighborhood, there was any employment evidently either more or less advantageous than the rest, so many people would crowd into it in the one case, and so many would desert it in the other, that its advantages would soon return to the level of other employments. This, at least, would be the case in a society where things were left to follow their natural course, where there was perfect liberty, and where every man was perfectly free both to choose what occupation he thought proper, and to change it as often as he thought proper. Every man's interest would prompt him to seek the advantageous, and to shun the disadvantageous employment. Pecuniary wages and profit, indeed, are everywhere in Europe extremely different, according to the different employments of labor and stock. But this difference arises partly from certain circumstances in the employments themselves, which, either really, or at least in the imagination of men, make up for a small pecuniary gain in some, and counterbalance a great one in others, and partly from the policy of Europe, which nowhere leaves things at perfect liberty. The particular consideration of those circumstances and of that policy will divide this chapter into two parts. Part 1. Inequalities arising from the nature of the employments themselves. The five following are the principal circumstances which, so far as I have been able to observe, make up for a small pecuniary gain in some employments, and counterbalance a great one in others. First, the agreeableness or disagreeableness of the employments themselves. Secondly, the easiness and cheapness, or the difficulty and expense of learning them. Thirdly, the constancy or inconstancy of employment in them. Fourthly, the small or great trust which must be reposed in those who exercise them, and fifthly, the probability or improbability of success in them. First, the wages of labor vary with the ease or hardship, the cleanliness or dirtiness, the honorableness or dishonorableness of the employment. Oh. Oh. What? What? Yeah. Okay. Multiple buckets of money, make yeah. a decision for being uh, real about uh, this business. Okay, disregard okay. what you think uh, looks cool. Thumb is always trying to do. Pull up when I make ooh, your room and drill. Cut like a wire from a pocket of spool. Calculated everything already. So in. go ahead and make it move. You know me, man. I've been in the groove. Make your move, do whatever you behoove. Scrum master swagger, number C. Use only Linux, what I use. That windows always ain't think goofy. Terminal only. Ain't no gooey. What? Pull up, pull up, pull up. They like who's he? Got a team okay. of lawyers to pin the period. You pursue me. Talking about broke subject nine going times in, out of ten. You gon' lose me in that mode. Uh, it was greeted in some toes. But next and place and foes. Only using Linux ain't no gooey. 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 Only using Linux. Only using Linux. I'm only using Linux. I'm only using Linux. I'm only using Linux. 
only using Linux. I'm 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 only using I'm 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 only using Linux. What? Chapter twenty one of the Science of Being Great by Wallace D. Wattles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A mental exercise. The purpose of mental exercises must not be misunderstood. There is no virtue in charms or formulated strings of words. There is no shortcut to development by repeating prayers or incantations. A mental exercise is an exercise not in repeating words, but in the thinking of certain thoughts. The phrases that we repeatedly hear become convictions, as Goethe says, and the thoughts that we repeatedly think become habitual and make us what we are. The purpose in taking a mental exercise is that you may think certain thoughts repeatedly until you form a habit of thinking them. Then they will be your thoughts all the time. Taken in the right way and with an understanding of their purpose, mental exercises are of great value, but taken as most people take them, they are worse than useless. The thoughts embodied in the following exercise are the ones you want to think. You should take the exercise once or twice daily but you should think the thoughts continuously. That is, do not think them twice a day for a stated time, and then forget them until it is time to take the exercise again. The exercise is to impress you with the material for continuous thought. Take a time when you can have from 20 minutes to half an hour secure from interruption, and proceed first to make yourself physically comfortable. Lie at ease in a Morris chair, or on a couch, or in bed. It is best to lie flat on your back. If you have no other time, take the exercise on going to bed at night and before rising in the morning. First let your attention travel over your body from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet, relaxing every muscle as you go. Relax completely. And next, get physical and other ills off your mind. Let the attention pass down the spinal cord and out over the nerves to the extremities. And as you do so, think. My nerves are in perfect order all over my body. They obey my will, and I have great nerve force. Next, bring your attention to the lungs and think. I am breathing deeply and quietly, and the air goes into every cell of my lungs, which are in perfect condition. My blood is purified and made clean. Next, to the heart. My heart is beating strongly and steadily, and my circulation is perfect, even to the extremities. Next, to the digestive system. Mr. Python programmer, keep it in the trunk. Whammer, whammer, whammer. Make a sucker stutter and stammer. Mr. Python programmer, I keep it in. M-S-A-Z-N-D-H Put a pen test to find fucking skunks Will I ever fold? Nope Diminishing haters' hopes Smoothly, who's he? Cleaner than soap Keeping balance like tightrope Ooh, bunch of one Linux, so I ain't broke I ain't gotta sell dope Just command line bash codes Going off, you know you so soft More plays than Reddit Moss from Game Day 99 Going hard like all the time Close my eyes, all I see is G edit lines On the grind all the time, Roseberry for the alpha pie Neen, on the scene as I'm cooking green
Plus it's broke like they ain't slim. My cell phone rings Another code to SSH to the team Check the UTC as I administer work overseas Can we scam? What's the plan? I'm in your system like blam Fix the logs, can we scram? Oh man, I'm going ham Kinda like cold cuts on potato buns Swing it and you miss, dog. Take that plunge, take you lunch Wrecking flows, just for fun Ice bright like the sun Let's shoot the fade, we can go to the one I'm solo son, I'm the one that can handle the fist The cut square 52 jab and a hater ain't quick enough Mr. Python Programmer, Mr. Python Programmer, Mr. Python Programmer, yeah, Mr. Python Programmer, Mr. Python Programmer, yeah, yeah, yeah. keep it in the trunk, whammer, keep it in the trunk, whammer, keep it in the trunk, whammer, Introduction to the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Shane Greener The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius by Marcus Aurelius Antoninus Translated by George Long Introduction Marcus Arnius Verus was born in Rome in AD 121 and assumed the name of Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, by which he is known to history on his adoption by the Emperor T. Aurelius Antoninus. He succeeded to the imperial throne in 161, and ruled till his death in 180. His reign, though marked by justice and moderation at home, was troubled by constant warfare on the frontiers of the empire, and Aurelius spent much of his later years in the uncongenial task of commanding armies that no longer proved irresistible against the barbarian hordes. M. Aurelius was educated by the orator Fronto, but turned aside from rhetoric to study of the Stoic philosophy, of which he was the last distinguished representative. The meditations, which he wrote in Greek, are among the most noteworthy expressions of this system, and exhibit it favourably on its practical side. His own precepts he carried out with singular consistency, and both in his public and his private life he was in the highest degree conscientious. He and his predecessor are noted as the only Roman emperors who can be said to have ruled with a single eye to the welfare of their subjects. During his reign, Rome was visited by a severe pestilence, and this, with reverses suffered by his armies, threw the populace into a panic and led them to demand the sacrifice of the Christians, whom they regarded as having brought down the anger of the gods. Aurelius seems to have shared the panic, and his record is stained by his sanction of the cruel persecution. This incident in the career of the last and one of the loftiest of the pagan moralists may be regarded as symbolic of the dying effort of heathenism to check the advancing tide of Christianity. The meditations picture with faithfulness the mind and character of this noblest of the emperors. Simple in style and sincere in tone, they record for all time the height reached by pagan aspirations in its effort to solve the problem of conduct and the essential agreement of his practice with his teaching proved that even in a palace life may be led well. End of introduction. Recording by Shane Greenup. Shane Greenup. Lace is going through my head at one time. Is that crazy? Oh. Uh.
Total market share Overgross domestic product is the secret Warren Buffett uses over 100 I'ma count it useless cause Everybody is running to it Under 50% what I be focusing on Better act soon for the investment is gone Hope the indicator that I pick strong Cause I'm buying a car at the ring of the gong Watch the price just leap like a fraud Disregard negative statements and remove good for nothing dogs Mitigated risk and all other laws Buy limits and I do it by reducing costs Oh my goodness, man, I'm So this, flaws and fraud, flexing, faking, thinking, they never show it, long point like no other day, change up, light leaves change Colors, speed, little smother Wow, they wonder, how could they have never met another Oops, did I stutter, slicker than butter Sharper than box, cutters, rose up from the gutter This on my mother, never knew my brother Spreadsheets, and I'm steady out here doing numbers Buying parts and flipping with all the lumber Tax, clean, green Total market share, over gross domestic product Is the secret Warren Buffett uses over 100 Cause everybody is running to it Under 50% what I be voting Yeah, 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 yeah This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Moira Fogarty. The Art of War by Sun Tzu, translated by Lionel Giles. Part 7. Maneuvering. Sun Tzu said, In war, the general receives his commands from the sovereign. Having collected an army and concentrated his forces, he must blend and harmonize the different elements thereof before pitching his camp. After that comes tactical maneuvering, than which there is nothing more difficult. The difficulty of tactical maneuvering consists in turning the devious into the direct, and misfortune into gain. Thus, to take a long and circuitous route, after enticing the enemy out of the way, and those starting after him, to contrive to reach the goal before him, shows knowledge of the artifice of deviation. Maneuvering with an army is advantageous, with an undisciplined multitude most dangerous. If you set a fully equipped army in march in order to snatch an advantage, the chances are that you will be too late. On the other hand, to detach a flying column for the purpose involves the sacrifice of its baggage and stores. Thus, if you order your men to roll up their buff coats and make forced marches without halting day or night, covering double the usual distance at a stretch, doing a hundred li in order to rest an advantage, the leaders of all your three divisions will fall into the hands of the enemy. The stronger men will be in front, the jaded ones will fall behind, and on this plan only one-tenth of your army will reach its destination. If you march fifty li in order to outmaneuver the enemy, you will lose the leader of your first division, and only half your force will reach the goal. If you march thirty li with the same object, 
two-thirds of your army will arrive. We may take it then that an army without its baggage train is lost. Without provisions, it is lost. Without bases of supply, it is lost. We cannot enter into alliances until we are acquainted with the designs of our neighbors. We are not fit to lead an army on the march unless we are familiar with the face of the country, its mountains and forests, its pitfalls and precipices, its marshes and swamps. We shall be unable to turn natural advantage to account unless we may... Chapter 19 of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 2 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 2, Niccolo Machiavelli. Translation by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter 19 That Acquisitions Made by Ill-Governed States and Such as Follow Not the Valiant Methods of the Romans Tend Rather to Their Ruin Than to Their Aggrandizement. To these false opinions, founded on the pernicious example first set by the present corrupt age, we owe it that no man thinks of departing from the methods which are in use. It had been impossible, for instance, some thirty years ago, to persuade an Italian that ten thousand foot soldiers could, on plain ground, attack ten thousand cavalry together with an equal number of infantry, and not merely attack, but defeat them as we saw done by the Swiss at that Battle of Novara, to which I have already referred so often. For although history abounds in similar examples, none would have believed them, or, believing them, would have said that nowadays men are so much better armed that a squadron of cavalry could shatter a rock to say nothing of a column of infantry. With such false pleas would they have belied their judgment, taking no account that with a very scant force of foot soldiers, Lucullus routed a hundred and fifty thousand of the cavalry of Tigranus, among whom were a body of horsemen very nearly resembling our own men-at-arms. Now, however, this error is demonstrated by the example of the northern nations. And since what history teaches us as to the superiority of foot soldiers is thus proved to be true, men ought likewise to believe that the other methods practiced by the ancients are in like manner salutary and useful, and were this once accepted, both princes and commonwealths would make fewer blunders than they do, would be stronger to resist sudden attack, and would no longer place their sole hope of safety in flight, while those who take Chapter 1 of The Art of Money Getting This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Preston The Art of Money Getting by P.T. Barnum Chapter 1 don't mistake your vocation. The safest plan, and the one most sure of success for the young man starting in life, is to select the vocation which is most congenial to his tastes. 
Parents and guardians are often quite too negligent in regard to this. It's very common for a father to say, for example, I have five boys. I will make Billy a clergyman, John a lawyer, Tom a doctor, and Dick a farmer. He then goes into town and looks about to see what he will do with Sammy. He returns home and says, Sammy, I see watchmaking is a nice genteel business. I think I will make you a goldsmith. He does this, regardless of Sam's natural inclinations or genius. We are all, no doubt, born for a wise purpose. There is as much diversity in our brains as in our countenances. Some are born natural mechanics, while some have great aversion to machinery. Let a dozen boys of ten years get together, and you will soon observe two or three are whittling out some ingenious device, working with locks or complicated machinery. When they were but five years old, their father could find no toy to please them like a puzzle. They are natural mechanics, but the other eight or nine boys have different aptitudes. I belong to the latter class. I never had the slightest love for mechanism. On the contrary, I have a sort of abhorrence for complicated machinery. I never had ingenuity enough to whittle a cider tap so it would not leak. I never could make a pen that I could write with or understand the principle of a steam engine. If a man was to take such a boy as I was and attempt to make a watchmaker of him, the boy might, after an apprenticeship of five or seven years, be able to take apart and put together a watch. But all through life he would be working uphill and seizing every excuse. Book Four of The Art of War by Niccolo Machiavelli Translated by Henry Neville This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Clive Catterall Book Four Luigi said, Since an engagement has been won so honourably under my rule, I think it is well if I do not tempt fortune further, knowing how changeable and unstable it is. And therefore I desire to resign my speakership, and that, wanting to follow the order that belongs to the youngest, Zenobi now assumed this office of questioning. And I know he will not refuse this honour, or we would rather say this hard work, as much in order to give pleasure as also because he is naturally more courageous than I. Nor should he be afraid to enter into these labours, where he can thus be overcome as he can overcome. Zenobi said, I intend to stay where you put me, even though I would more willingly stay to listen, because up to now I am more satisfied with your questions than those which occurred to me in listening to your discussions pleased me. But I believe it is well, lords, since you have time left, and of patience, we do not annoy you with these ceremonies of ours. Fabrizio said, I'd rather you give me pleasure, because this change of questions makes me know the various geniuses and your various desires. Is there anything remaining of the matter discussed which you think should be added? Zenobi said, There are two things I desire before we pass on to another part. The one is that you would show me if there is another form of organizing the army which may occur to you. The other, what considerations ought a captain have before going to battle? And if some accident should arise concerning it, what remedies can be made? Fabrizio said, I will make an effort to satisfy you. I will not reply to your questions in detail, for when I answer one, often it will also answer another. 
I have told you that I proposed a form for the army which should fill all the requirements according to the nature of the enemy in the site, because in this case one proceeds according to the site and the enemy. But note this, that there is no greater peril than to overextend the front of your army, unless you have a very large and very brave army. Otherwise you have to make it rather wide and of short length than of long length and very narrow. For when you have a small force compared to the enemy, you ought to seek other remedies. For Chapter four of the Science of Being Great by Wallace D. Wattles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mind of God There is a cosmic intelligence that is in all things and through all things. This is the one real substance. From it all things proceed. It is intelligent substance or mind stuff. It is God. Where there is no substance, there can be no intelligence. For where there is no substance, there is nothing. Where there is thought, there must be a substance which thinks. Thought cannot be a function, for function is motion, and it is unconceivable that mere motion should think. Thought cannot be vibration, for vibration is motion, and that motion should be intelligent is not thinkable. Motion is nothing but the moving of substance. If there be intelligence shown, it must be in the substance and not in the motion. Thought cannot be the result of motions in the brain. If thought is in the brain, it must be in the brain's substance and not in the motions which brain substance makes. But thought is not in the brain substance, for brain substance, without life, is quite unintelligent and dead. Thought is in the life principle that animates the brain the spirit substance, which is the real man. The brain does not think, the man thinks and expresses his thought through the brain. There is a spirit substance that thinks. Just as the spirit substance of man permeates his body and thinks and knows in the body, so the original spirit substance, God, permeates all nature and thinks and knows in nature. Nature is as intelligent as man and knows more than man. Nature knows all things. The all mind has been in touch with all things from the beginning, and it contains all knowledge. Man's experience covers a few things, and these things man knows. But God's experience covers all the things that have happened since the creation, from the wreck of a planet or the passing of a comet to the fall of a sparrow. All that is and all that has been are present in the intelligence that is wrapped about us, and enfolds us and presses upon us from every side. All the encyclopedias man have written are but trivial affairs compared to the vast knowledge held by the mind in which man live, move, and have their being. The truth man perceive by inspiration are thoughts held in this mind. If they were... Chapter 13 of The Science of Being Great by Wallace D. Wattles This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thought Greatness is only attained by the constant thinking of great thoughts. No man can become great in outward personality until he is great internally. And no man can be great internally until he thinks. No amount of education, reading or study can make you great without thought. But thought can make you great with every little study. There are altogether too many people who are trying to make something of themselves by reading books without thinking. All such will fail. You are not mentally developed by what you read, but by what you know.
escape out of thought. We must either think or engage in some activity to escape thought. To have long continuous chase for pleasure in which most people spend their leisure time is only an effort to escape thought. If they are alone, or if they have nothing amusing to take their attention, as a novel to read or a show to see, they must think. And to escape from thinking, they resort to novels, shows, and all the endless devices of the purveyors. mere knowledge or information makes personality. Thinking is growth. You cannot think without growing. Every thought engenders